The truth is the majority of patients in the U.S. who undergo IVF pay out of pocket for their medical treatments because they don't have in in health insurance or because their health insurance policies exclude fertility care or only cover certain infertility diagnoses. You know, I think the median price of an IVF cycle with medications is a little less than $20,000. And depending on someone's salary, a single cycle may be a significant percentage of their annual income. In early April 2023, the World Health Organization released a new report that suggests one in six adults, or roughly 17.5% of the world's adult population, will be affected by infertility in their lifetime. Despite how common infertility is, access to treatment in the United States is very inconsistent. This week, April 23rd through 29, 2023, is National Infertility Awareness Week. We've done episodes in the past about common causes and treatments of infertility, but for this episode of the Women's HealthCast, we wanted to focus on equity and access in the infertility world. First, we'll hear from Dr. Kate Scheuer, a reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist in the Medical College of Wisconsin Department of OBGYN, about whether everyone in the U.S. has equitable access to fertility care, what kinds of barriers may stand in the way of building a family, and what would need to change to make sure that those one in six adults can take advantage of needed fertility services. Then, we'll hear from a Wisconsin couple, Karen and Brian, about how the financial realities of fertility care in the U.S. impacted their treatment journey. From the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and you're listening to the Women's HealthCast. I am very pleased to welcome Dr. Kate Scheuer to the Women's Health Cast for our episode about National Infertility Awareness Week. Dr. Scheuer is an associate professor in the Medical College of Wisconsin um, in the Department of OBGYN, and in particular, you are a reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, and especially during such an important week. Before we talk a little bit about um, equity and access in infertility care, I would love to just learn a little bit more about your day job and why people come to see you. So the majority of patients who come see us are those who have difficulty conceiving or who want to build a family um, and for whatever reason are not able to on their own or need fertility assistance. We also see some patients who have other reproductive disorders like irregular menstrual cycles and polycystic ovarian syndrome and um, other reproductive disorders such as uterine anomalies. Why, what makes working with people who are experiencing infertility so important to you? What kind of drew you to this career path? I do agree with statements by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and the World Health Organization that Building a family is really a basic human right. And having the ability to grow a family is such an important part to many individuals' happiness and sense of fulfillment. Um, The joy of being a parent, I think, is unlike any other. So that was a large part of it. Truthfully, intellectually, I also find the field very interesting. It's a combination of medical endocrinology, reproductive endocrinology, which is basically different hormonal systems and doing really interesting cutting edge procedures. 
I I like that you mentioned that, you know, according to the World Health Organization, infertility is a disease and building a family is should be a right. And we know that here in our country, at least, um, we've got a lot of barriers. Uh, not That's not a right that's equally accessible to every person. Um, so we'll spend some time today, I think, talking about access and barriers to fertility care. And to start with, I would like to ask if we know how common infertility is overall, how frequently people experience this. Well, this is interesting because just a week ago, there was a news release from the World Health Organization that increased what we thought of as a traditional prevalence of infertility. So internationally, it suggested that one in six individuals have infertility. That's close to 17% of people worldwide, which as you can imagine is millions and millions of people. Do we know if that rate is consistent across all groups or if some groups experience infertility at higher rates than others? Well, that is a really interesting question, and data is really just starting to accumulate on this. Traditionally, national surveys of like national health and nutrition examination surveys really thought that fertility rates were comparable among different ethnic and racial groups. Um, However, there is accumulating data that infertility may be more common among certain racial minorities, such as African-American or Latina women, compared to non-Hispanic white women. Um, There was recent data looking at actually a prospective study of women looking at heart disease that showed that African-American women actually had a significantly higher odd of ever experiencing infertility compared to white women, even after adjustment for a lot of factors that can affect that, such as socioeconomic status, marital status, or other risk factors. We know things about certain infertility diagnoses. For example, there is some data that African-American women may have a higher rate of tubal factor infertility compared to white women. Um, A study that was actually done in the Department of Defense suggested African-American women in an equal access to care setting actually had a higher prevalence of uterine fibroids which are benign tumors in the uterus that can affect fertility. So there really is a lot of data that is accumulating on this topic, which helps us further realize the disparities in care. What do we know then about, I guess I'm, I'm curious about if, if we know um, like African-American women are experiencing higher rates of infertility, how does that compare to who accesses fertility treatment, I guess. Is there a gap in between groups that have higher rates of infertility or are more likely to experience infertility and who actually accesses care in Wisconsin or in the U.S.? Sure, sure, and that's a good question. Um, You know, for one thing, I will say there is data starting to accumulate, but a lot of research has been inadequate thus far along these demographic and racial lines. And there is data that at the same time as having this data accumulating on prevalence that African-American women in particular may have some of the highest levels of like unmet reproductive goals and the lowest levels of access. Um, Some groups, including minority women, there is data they seek to, they seek medical advice after a longer duration of infertility. So they wait longer potentially to see a provider. We define infertility 
as trying to conceive for more than 12 months. In a woman over 35, we recommend if she's been trying at least six months that she seek evaluation due to the known impact of female age on fertility. Um, But there's data that both Black and Latina women are less likely to seek fertility treatment. Another thing that could be affecting this is physician referral patterns for fertility treatments may vary by patient ethnicity, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, and these patterns apply to many referrals, such as fertility preservation as well. Is there anything else that might be contributing to that access or um, utilization gap that we're seeing, in addition to maybe less frequent referrals or um, longer duration of trying for a pregnancy before seeking care? I would say the most often cited explanation for the gap in access to fertility care is related to the high cost of fertility treatment and the financial um, stress associated with fertility treatments. Um, As I mentioned, there is data that Black women tend to have some of the lowest rates of utilization of fertility treatments. There, there are other factors, unfortunately. You know, as we said, as I said, infertility does not discriminate based on income. But unfortunately, many, there are many inequities and disparities in access to fertility care where it kind of delays in access or poor access tend to more affect individuals of lower socioeconomic status. So you talked about a difference in prevalence or rates of infertility. Um, And I guess I'm kind of curious how accurate we think, you know, you said the data is still kind of accruing. Um, And I'm curious how accurate we think that is, or if there are barriers to even counting or getting an accurate assessment of who's experiencing infertility. Are there systemic ways that people interact with our like healthcare system that might affect whether they get referrals, whether they're even asked the question about fertility goals and family building goals. There probably is in ways that are not even fully appreciated. Um, in addition to the fact, if if certain minority groups like African-American and Latina women are less likely to seek fertility treatment, there's traditionally been some degree of a stigma associated with being infertile. Um, perhaps to actually you know, seek care about that is a barrier for some people. So if we, if people aren't seeking care or if they're seeking care later, of course, we're going to have less data on the prevalence in those groups. You had also mentioned the possibility of um, lower referral rates or um, just maybe the conversation about family building goals going differently for different patients. Yes. So I, I, I clearly think like a better understanding of even the non-economic barriers that can impact a patient's decision to seek treatment really needs to be part of any future attempt to address disparities in access to care. Um, I think we have to, there, you know, there's a lot of data in the infertility world on patient-centered care, you know, assigning a lot of value to the patient experience and the patient's voice with particular attention to feedback from the communities who we know are underserved by our field will be a really important focus 
and challenge, but focus for our field going forward. And that is something that the American Society for Reproductive Medicine has committed itself to, is to try to improve access and reduce disparities, recognizing it starts just with not as much data on racial um, discrepancies in access to care and the prevalence of infertility, but really making sure that these reproductive needs, which have gone unmet for a long time in different ethnic groups, need to be met. And I also will say, I think part of it is infertility is a disease. You know, family building is a basic human right and infertility needs to be recognized as a disease. One thing we haven't talked about yet, but I feel like is very central to the idea of access and being able to afford care um, is probably insurance coverage Um, because it's it varies widely from place to place, from state to state, employer to employer even. And that can affect someone's choices, um, whether they can seek this kind of care. And I guess you practice in Wisconsin. We are a state um, here without mandated fertility coverage and insurance. Do you ever see um, insurance coverage or lack of insurance coverage affecting what kinds of choices your patients make during treatment? Yes, all the time, daily. Um, you know, so I practiced here for a little more than 10 years. I moved here from New York where I was working in Manhattan and the area immediately outside. And it was a very different environment. A lot more insurances in New York covered fertility treatment. There's been a gradual increase here, but I would still say maybe half of patients have infertility treatment coverage. That's an estimate in our practice. And oftentimes it's not comprehensive coverage. It may be for a limited amount or a dollar amount or a certain number of treatment cycles. Um, You know, I think there have been studies nationally that have looked at the prevalence of infertility coverage. Um, The truth is the majority of patients in the U.S., who undergo IVF pay out of pocket for their medical treatments because they don't have in- in health insurance or because their health insurance policies exclude fertility care or only cover certain infertility diagnoses. You know, I think the median price of an IVF cycle with medications is a little less than $20,000. And depending on someone's salary, a single cycle may be a significant percentage of their annual income. And it not uncommonly takes more than one IVF cycle for someone to be successful. So there are several states that provide comprehensive or near comprehensive coverage for infertility treatment through state law mandates. These mandates require the private insurances or private insurers cover the diagnosis and treatment of infertility. However, mandated coverage definitely improves overall access Some state mandates have a lot of restrictions, like the amount of duration of time someone has to have been tried, covers only couples, say, who are married, you know, has stipulations about the sperm source. So they also have their own challenges. And they also, the insurance mandates only apply to patients who have private insurance and only to those policies that have to comply with the state insurance law. That means infertility coverage is still not available to people who are uninsured, who have Medicaid or other government health programs as their insurer, um, may have self-insured employers or smaller employers, um, or be based outside of the state. So mandates help, 
but they, they aren't perfect. And even in states that have comprehensive infertility mandates that require certain size um, employers cover treatment, there is data that infertility care is still used disproportionately by non-Hispanic white women of higher socioeconomic and educational status. And really, these limitations will only be overcome when fertility treatment is included in all health insurance coverage. Yeah, that was going to be my final question for you, I think, is what what would need to change when you kind of look out at the landscape of fertility care and fertility coverage? Um, what would need to change to improve access and equity in this world of fertility care? So, you know, one effort of this week is, of course, greater awareness, um, the, prov- the provision of really patient-centered care to patients to help augment the patient voice. Um, you know, in the U.S., as in many countries, there are a lot of disparities to access to care, but also to fertility treatments and treatment outcomes. The economic factors are really the chief contributors um, however, as I said, like there are societal or cultural factors, there may be discrimination going on that disadvantages certain people because of their race and socioeconomic status. And I think continuing to educate providers, continuing to get the word out that infertility care is available and that seeking care at a younger age is important. I mean, there's a lot of education, I think, that needs to happen both ways, both for providers and I think to the general population. Dr. Scheuer, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Uh, We've had Dr. Kate Scheuer from the Medical College of Wisconsin Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. After getting the perspective of a physician who works with people facing infertility every day, we wanted to hear from a real couple about their experience building their family the barriers and challenges they encountered, and what they'd like to see changed for other people. This is Karen and Brian. So my name is Karen, as I stated. Um, I am a resident in Wisconsin. Yeah, and I'm Brian uh, in Wisconsin, and we live in Lodi, Wisconsin, which is a small community just a little bit north of Madison. Um, We met each other in school at UW-Madison and kind of have stayed in the area and um, We've been together for, uh, it'll be, be going on, shoot, um, is it nine? 10 years married and Ten years 17 married, years yeah. together. Yep, that's what it is. <laughs> Karen and Brian always knew they wanted to be parents. We had always, at least I guess from my view, I always knew that family was something that was really important to me. And um, at least when we were a couple kind of planning our journey on that, um, that was something that both of us had a, interest in at the right time for us. Like many couples, they deferred parenthood until they had reached some educational and professional goals. Brian had been told by a family doctor as a teen that if he ever had trouble conceiving in the future, he may need a surgery to correct an issue. After a visit with his healthcare provider when they were ready to start a family, Brian and Karen opted to try for a pregnancy for six months. And then it was ultimately when when we were unsuccessful that we went back to um, I think that was where we got introduced to an infertility specialty clinic um, to go in and get a consult on that. And from that, um, it was discovered that it was, you know, as suspected, an issue on my end. Um, I had a very low sperm count. This news left Karen and Brian with a choice to make. 
first option was Brian to undergo surgery, um, really give the surgery six to 12 months to see if his um, sperm count and motility both um, would increase, thus increasing the chances of us getting pregnant. Um, although, you know, as we understood, there was no guarantee that that would be successful. Um, and at a minimum, that would likely delay our potential for pregnancy by a year, if not longer. Our second option that out, uh, was outlined was IVF ICSI, um, which was, you know, given roughly a 50, per 50 chance of success, um, but we could get that process started nearly immediately. ICSI stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. In traditional IVF or in vitro fertilization, sperm and eggs are put into the same laboratory dish where sperm may or may not successfully fertilize the eggs. In ICSI, a single sperm is injected directly into an egg. You can find more information on IVF and ICSI from the American Society for Reproductive Medicine in this episode's show notes. So, Karin and Brian opted to pursue ICSI, but their next question is, how do we pay for this? Right as we were going into this, um, my employer ended up adding partial infertility coverage. Um, so that also was something that we were incredibly grateful for. Um, so it, it wasn't full coverage, um, but it was something that would help. So um, we ended up kind of timing it out and we, we switched insurances at the turn of the year um, with basically the aim of getting started as soon as possible with the, the IVF ICSI process. Insurance coverage for infertility care is fairly uncommon in the U.S. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, and as we heard from Dr. Kate Scheuer, only 15 states require some private insurers to cover some fertility care. For the most part, people with public insurance like Medicaid do not have coverage for fertility services. For Karen and Brian, that infertility benefit was the primary reason they changed their insurance coverage from Karen's employer over to Brian's. We were very fortunate. So you know, when you commented what are the benefits or advantages we had in the process, I think just that opportunity to have the partial coverage that we had offered, um, you know, we do consider that just to be very fortunate because we acknowledge and recognize that um, for many Wisconsinites, that is not the case. Beyond the financial benefit itself, Brian found his employer's investment in fertility coverage supportive in a different way. Being the partner that had the infertility diagnosis, um, I can say that's a, that's a load that you carry. It was, a, it was definitely at a time when we felt very much, and I can say I felt disconnected and, and were, was kind of finding myself again, just to have that lifeline, knowing that my employer was willing, that it, they heard me and they saw me and they had a program um, which was out of the ordinary for them to have in Wisconsin, um, really was well, the value was well beyond the coverage. Emotionally, it even had a higher value to make me feel like really well appreciated by my company, especially being the partner that um, was the one that kind of brought this upon us. Karen and Brian are now parents to two young kids, in part thanks to the fertility coverage through Brian's employer. Going through this experience brought them new perspective on the barriers to accessing fertility care and what could change to help other families like theirs. I feel like if I am unwell or if I need medical care, I've, you know, with the benefit of insurance that I can go and get treatment um, and make myself better. Um, so I think it was in some ways jarring to realize that a medical diagnosis of infertility 
wasn't a covered service. You know, infertility is a medical diagnosis. And so my sentiment is, you know, should be covered by um, medical insurance. Um, again, just feel so very blessed that we, in our situation, we were able to overcome that infertility diagnosis and um, start a family. But, you know, it, it shouldn't be something that's reserved only for people with economic means. Thanks to Karen and Brian for sharing their experience on the Women's Health Cast. You can learn more about national efforts to raise awareness about infertility needs at resolve.org. In Wisconsin, the Building Families Alliance is leading advocacy efforts to improve fertility coverage in our state. You can learn more at buildingfamilieswi.org. Links to both of these organizations will be in our show notes. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-SMPH Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find the UW Department of OBGYN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us in your podcast app and let us know what issues you'd like to learn about at the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening.